Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Greetings and salutations, cycle knots. Today's episode of Cycling in Alignment is part two of a discussion with physical therapist and shaman Ron Kochevar. The first part of our conversation can be heard in episode number 72, Ron Kochevar, Feel the Pull. And the good part is, in listening to part two, you get to understand what we mean when Ron says, feel the pull. Specifically, he's talking about feeling the pull of the human body towards a goal, or perhaps your intended purpose. I won't belabor the introduction today. You've probably already heard it in part one. If not, I recommend you enjoy that episode as well. Thanks for listening as always. And if you have comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. That's cycling in alignment on my Instagram channel. I will also have a written component or compliment to this podcast, which will be published on my website, colbypierce.com. My aim is not to simply duplicate what Ron and I said in the pod, but also to elaborate on it in my own thoughts and at my own pace. Sometimes when you're having a conversation with someone else, you don't fully get to appreciate all the things that they are teaching you. So part of what I'm trying to accomplish in the writing is to help understand a little bit more about Ron's message and reflect on it in my own way. I hope my readers find that useful. There might also be some visual aids that go along with that written content. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode part two with Ron Kochevar. How you do one, anything is how you do everything, right? right? It's, it, it, it's all the, it's kind of all the same. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking for a sort of a solution and we have the wherewithal to start looking inside of ourselves because our answers are inside of ourselves. Our body is incredibly intelligent. It's a self-healing wonder. It wants to be healthy. It wants to be healthy. And it yeah. knows how yes. to steer towards health. Mm-hmm. But none of it doesn't happen against resistance. It, it doesn't happen by pushing. Right. It happens when we get a solution from our body. It is something that we are pulled towards. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we have to push to uh, uh, to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting concept. It's. Uh, I think it's the. I mean, it, it's the concept of you know, knowing whether or not we are sort of doing the right thing, right? Um, am I doing what I what I was brought here to do? Yeah. Um, and I think I said this the last time we talked as well, but I had, you know, this teacher that, that used to say, it doesn't matter how effectively or efficiently you may be going north. If your mission in life is to go south, yeah. you are going the wrong way. Right. Yeah. And that starts to, that's, that starts to uh, open up a lot of, conflictive uh, type of experiences in people's bodies because the minute we start listening to our heart and turn away from what our rational mind is telling us, 
it does not take very long before in the middle that is going to be filled with a lot of cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is what I was told. This is what I feel. Shit. Um, what am I going to do? It's going to rip you in half. Well, fuck it. I'm going to do what they told me to do. Yeah. And the more we do that, it pulls us farther and farther away from what our body is saying. No, no, no. This. Come over here. Right? And, yeah, that's a... It's hard, you know, it, because in order to listen, we have to stop. We have to get silent. We have to tune into our own breath. All things that we are not encouraged to do. Right. Right. We are encouraged to achieve. We are encouraged to be ambitious. We are encouraged to have some sort of a goal, some sort of a motivation and by default, we end up comparing ourselves to the people around us that have the same goals, the same ambitions, the same motivations. And if we let that run and we let it have control, because, you know, because he who dies with the most toys wins. Right then we're going to find ourselves achieving goal after goal after goal and getting unhappier with every single one. Mm -hmm. Because after we achieve that goal, the all I mean, yeah, we may be, we may be happy for 10 minutes, but ultimately then the question is going to be, okay, now what, what's the next goal? Yeah. And there's no real, there's no real enjoyment in achievement because we haven't been allowed to and there's and we just you know we live in these sort of expectations and you know a lot of that stuff gets quieted down or quelled if we decide to stop and make a decision based on what our body is actually telling us and I, don't, and I don't think we're not, we're not really taught that our body has that kind of intelligence to it. Wisdom. Yeah. So many times I've had conversations with clients who have been injured and I'll say to them, there's a point when the conversation gets to where they just sort of frequently they'll, they'll get to this point of, of disbelief or loss of faith. Right. But, it, but it's not even a loss of faith. It's just, they don't have it. And my response is I have to remind them, like, I want you to know your body wants to be healthy. You just have to get out of the way, let it heal, give it the tools it needs, and then let it do its thing, which takes time. People aren't real good with giving a lot of time in 2022 times that thing that we never have enough of. But I'll, and I'll explain that to them. Like, like the body wants to achieve equilibrium. It wants to achieve health, homeostasis, mm -hmm. balance. It wants those things. It'll constantly work towards those things. Mm -hmm. How successful it is, is how, how interrupted um, that process is by your choices, your mind choices to go out and keep doing instead of letting rest. And mm -hmm. also the tools you give it. If you're eating shit food, it's be hard to grow a new tendon or not grow a new tendon, but it's going to be hard to repair an injured tendon. It's going to be hard mm -hmm. to have muscle damage be repaired when you're, if you're stressing about your weight and you're constantly yeah. under eating or eating yeah. empty calories or shitty food. Yeah. I mean, just being stuck in any sort of dogmatic thought like you talked about earlier 
can create a, a stress response, right? Which over time will start to create a sort of a low load inflammatory um, environment in our bodies. Yep. And the literature, the scientific literature is very, very clear on what happens to healing times in high stress environments. Our bodies heal at around 60% of the rate as in a non-stress environment. Yeah. So you you know, you're close to cutting down half your half your healing time. Yeah. Yeah. Just by getting letting go of the the dogma. Mm. The I think it's the what's the word I'm looking for? Um being willing to say that maybe maybe my body knows what my body needs right now better than all of these experts mm -hmm. that keep telling me mm -hmm. what I need yeah. right this happens this in any any physical therapist is going to have this experience as well they have a patient come in they've seen any number of providers in the past um, maybe several, several doctors, right? Any, any provider you go in and see is going to have their own take on what's going on mm -hmm. with a, with a patient. Mm -hmm. So they've seen a number of providers gotten maybe some good advice, maybe not some good advice. Patient doesn't know. Mm -hmm. All they know is that they've, they've seen a number of people, their condition hasn't changed and now they come into PT's office and most PTs are going to run very contrary to what you know, typical physicians are going to have people do. Um, and now they're even more confused. They're like, right. well, you're telling me that I can do this. I've got these people telling me that I can't do that. Then I've got this, this physician that's telling me that I need to have surgery. I got a second opinion and that surgeon said I didn't need to have surgery. Yep. Yep. And now they're just confused. And every PT has had that, had that happen mm -hmm. probably a number of times. Usually what I do with those people is then ask them, what do you think you need? Mm -hmm. And probably 50% of the time, those patients, will say, well, you're the expert. Right. I'm defaulting to you. That's right, right here. And yeah. I'm like, no. Actually, you, you are. You are. <laughs> your body yeah. is the expert. Yep. Right? Your body wants to heal. Sometimes we need to give it, we need to, we need to give it a shove mm -hmm. in the right direction to start breaking a lot of patterns. Yep. Right? Those patterns are usually unconsciously driven. Almost always they are originated in our, in our minds, usually our unconscious mind, right? But your body wants to get better. So I know at some point during this whole process that you've been seeing all these providers and hearing all these different stories, at some point, something inside you said, this is what I need. What was that voice? What did that voice tell you? And I'll sit with them. And I'll break it down until they have that moment hmm. where, you know, like, 
well, I kind of figure I need to do this. Great. And that is where we will start. Interesting. Yeah. You know, hmm. sometimes it's people like people say, I need to get a new job. Yeah. I need to make a major life change. Right. Right. Well, so, okay. You mentioned before we were talking about mechanical you know, problems mm-hmm. and you offer a mechanical solution, you know, mm-hmm. our cervical neck, cervical neck extension on the, of the cyclist being a good example, but now you're, you're beginning to bring up the kind of the next layer, which is when you do all the mechanical things and someone has a low back pain or right. something, it's a little more nebulous perhaps, or, and also common, it can be associated with many different mm-hmm. etiologies. And so you do the mechanical thing and still the back pain persists. Right. doesn't change. Right. Right. And then you get into the conversation of, I, uh, man, I, I love my wife, but I got to get a divorce or yeah, my job sucks. Or mm-hmm. I'm really struggling with my parents because their mental health is going downhill because they're 88 years old or whatever right. they're struggling with. Right. right. Yeah. So s- stress responses can significantly change subjective pain responses. Right. Um, Our self-efficacy significantly impacts pain responses. What do you mean by self-efficacy? What we believe about ourselves, our ability to Mm -hmm. sort of walk through the world and be self-sufficient. Okay. Right? Okay. Depression. Depression rates are highly correlated with increased pain responses. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. Fear avoidance. Pain aversion. Catastrophizing thinking. Like all of these things now, because, because the world of pain science is such a big area of research, now we've got good empirical, empirical data that shows that all of those things significantly impact a simple pain response, Mm -hmm. right? And pain is always contextual, right? Pain response has nothing to do with tissue damage. The amount of tissue damage and a pain and the pain response are not correlated in any way. Right. Pain is contextual, right? So if you put, if you take an injury in quotes, right? Something where there's a, 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 a nociceptive uh, um, reason for somebody to have pain. They've got an injured tendon, right? Mm-hmm. And you start changing the context, you're going to have different pain responses. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If somebody, if you've got a professional athlete who at the height of their career has this tendon injury and they're going to be out for you know six months they may have a very different pain reaction than some kid who's right who loves to ride a skateboard to work and sprains the same tendon and now has to drive his car for six you know for six weeks yeah right because the stakes are different yep the context is different the consequences are different so and cultural beliefs familial beliefs the amount of support systems that somebody has, mm-hmm. um, all of these biopsychosocial factors all have something to do with the way that we perceive our own pain. Yep. Right. And pain is always individual. 
it's it's what it's we, a, like it's the one thing that we like got you know it's like it's experiential yeah because it's yeah. experiential right 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 and until we have an experience to keep harping on this mm-hmm. to, until we have an experience of something and then another experience where we can where we realize we've got some sort of control we have some sort of empowerment mm-hmm. to affect a change on our on on the previous experience yeah until we have that we have nothing all we have is knowledge mm-hmm. we have intellect that's it you know and you know the world is full of people that have tons of knowledge and not a lot of experience yeah right they got all the equipment and none the skills mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and nobody wants like nobody wants to be in that well, no, until we realize how sometimes having the experience and to gain the understanding, applying that knowledge, I mean, that years and years of work. And yeah, and this is the this is the paradigm of the client. So to rewind just for a moment, you were talking about your client who comes in and and you gave them the exercises and they had good results and they come back a year later and they they admit to you, I haven't been doing my work and now I'm in the same place and I don't remember even half the exercises, right? And one of my instructors and mentors, Matt Walden talks about, we were having discussion recently about my pre bike fitting client questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And he shared with me his questions. He sends to his clients before he sees them as a PT or an osteopath. Mm-hmm. And one of them, he just point blank asked them, do you want a solution for the problem or pain you're having now? Or do you want to understand the origin, the etiology of that pain so that we can address the root cause, the mother of the pain or the mother of the problem right. and make a lasting change in your life? Or do you just want to have the instant solution now? And he'll ask him that point blank. And it never, you know, as someone who works the way I do with athletes and you do as therapist also, where I was trying to teach someone to fish, that's always my end goal. Like, of course I'll yeah. help someone acutely. That's also part of my directive. I want to give someone a result and they walk out the door, if their saddle's too high, I'll lower it. Right. But but really the big lesson for me or the big the big value for the client is me teaching them something about how to interpret their own bike fit mm-hmm. and how to learn, dig into their own body, understand how their core is working or isn't, etc., and teach them how to fish. And so but it had never occurred to me to just ask them that point blank. I'm always sort of doing this background calculation and feeling the client and you know, right. in our discussion, getting an idea for where they are on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um so I just thought of that because yeah, I don't know. Do you? Yeah. I mean, you, that's part of my. That's just part of the way I practice. Right. Right. But how do you? How do this you week, This week, uh, three days ago. Okay. Um, I had a guy come into the clinic, and he came in with the diagnosis of a knee sprain, right? And so he came in, and he's now convinced that he's got something wrong with his knee, mm-hmm. and. I examined his knee. His knee's fine. Right? There's nothing wrong with his knee. And what he was describing in terms of symptoms and because his pain pressure thresholds around his whole lower extremity were pretty high, not just in the knee, but also in the low leg and also in the thigh. I was like, this has got to be a more proximal problem. It's got, this is the likelihood that this is an interarticular problem in the knee is very low because his exam was very unremarkable. Okay. So I went up into his into his lumbar spine, and the issues in his lumbar spine were primarily muscular. So 
all I did was did some, I did some dry needling, left him on the needles and some stem mm -hmm. um, in his multifidi, lower mm -hmm. lumbar spine for like 10 minutes, mm -hmm. got him off the table, 100% resolution of symptoms in his knee. Could squat, could run, mm -hmm. could go up and down stairs, had no pain with walking, right? He was flabbergasted, just like, what happened, right? And so at that point, then, that's my opportunity for empowerment. Yeah. Right? Because I think you and I are a lot alike in the way that we work with clients. It's all about service, right? How do I empower this person? Yeah. So I got, asked you've him. You've got buy-in at this point. Yeah, he's, he's got buy-in. blown away right? by your results. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so it was that point that I asked him exactly that same question. I was like, now, do you want me to give you some things to do? so that we can maybe stave off this happening and flaring up again yeah. in the very near future? Or do you want to just keep it with this sort of short-term short -term result, right? Because guaranteed, once you send somebody out, they are going to do the exact same yeah. thing that yeah. they have always done. They're not going to miraculously change the way that they move, the way that they posture themselves in, the way that they unconsciously process information and make decisions. They're going to change all that. Right. Just because of this, just because of this, you know, this one moment of clarity, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be, they've had an experience that experience affected them. Now, if you want lasting, if you want a lasting solution to something, then we need to take personal ownership of some things. We yep. need there. That's where the maintenance comes in. Right. Right. I was like, okay, do you want me to give you some things? Yeah where you can start to prevent this from happening in the future or you good to go and you want to go back and, you know, drive your truck because he was a truck driver. Ah, um, right. And, uh, he was like, well, how long will it take? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I can do it quick in 10 minutes. Okay. He's like, all right, 10 minutes. Gave him a couple of things to do. Yeah. Explain to him the most likely reason why his, why his knee pain went away when we needled his lumbar spine. Yep. Right. I don't know that for sure. We don't know anything for sure. Right. 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 Makes good clinical reasoning sense, mm -hmm. but we don't know. We don't know for sure. Yeah, we have no idea. Yeah. Um, so it took 10 minutes, gave him some things to gave him some things to do. And if he does those things, the likelihood that he's going to end up back in my clinic for the same problem is a lot lower than if he would have said, no, I'm good. I'm out. Right. You know, what did he say when you, oh, he said, yeah, oh, he, he said, said yeah. yeah. He so did, we, oh, took 10 minutes, okay. we took 10 okay, minutes yeah. and, and, uh, and I showed him some, I showed him some things to do, kind of gave him a very abridged version of the most likely reason why this was so effective. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I think I understand that. Right. Cool. So basically I've got to kind of, I've got to, I got to really kind of monitor the position that my back is in. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And depending upon the person that's sitting in front of us, we that conversation about cause versus source, that conversation can get as big and colorful yeah. as it needs to be, or it can stay as simple and straightforward mm -hmm. as somebody is either capable of understanding or willing. Wants to understand. Yeah, yeah. Or wants to understand. Yeah. Right? 
this is meeting the client where they're at, right? Exactly. Some people are just hungry. They want to know all the details and the why mm-hmm. and the context. And yep. others are more than 10 minutes. Okay, mm-hmm. I got 10 minutes, yeah. maybe nine. Yeah. Yeah. I just, we just got rid of the worst pain that you've, you said you have ever had. Yeah. In 10 minutes time. Yeah. And now you're like, well, how long is it going to take? You know? And like, and what are we going to do? We can't judge it. No. Like it's, it's a very human response. It's their choice. It's right? their choice. And so there isn't any judgment in it. I just like, hey, yes or no? Mm-hmm. Do you want it? Yes or no? In or out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So. This is what Paul refers to as the pain teacher, though. And he, he talks about it in that way where the teacher will come back until you really deal with the, the mother of the problem. Until you yeah. take adult responsibility for your how you got yourself in the mess in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's a big mess, especially with the case of cyclists, right? Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. The people who only ride their bikes and ride a lot, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that tend to, it's just a timeline. It's an if, not a when in my mind. Like occasionally you get the super freak of super freaks who just seem to be able to do whatever they want and their body biomechanically has no downstream consequences. But we're talking one in a million. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, you put them on a bike long enough and they get these, all these challenges that show up. Yeah. They, right. If you put somebody in front of a computer long enough. Right. All right. These challenges repetitive activities. Yeah. But I would argue that cycling is worse than most sports because it's all, because the movements are so, it's a, it's a weird combination of some of the movements are precisely replicated to the nanometer, you clip into clipless pedals mm-hmm. and you're making a pedal stroke with a 172.5 millimeter radius, every single pedal stroke. Yep. There's no deviation in that, yep. right? But at the same time, we have saddles that hold our, our pelvises in certain planes a little bit, right? but in other planes, they let them do whatever they want. right? And same thing with the bars, basically. You've got very limited hand positions right. on a road bike. You've got drops, hoods, and tops. But at the same time, and people do all sorts of creative things to hold the bars in different weird ways at times. Right. But it's still a fixed point. The bars don't move. So whereas running, you run on trail, swimming, yep. cross-country skiing, right. rowing's pretty fixed also. Rowing's maybe yep. one of the ones that's more fixed, but also yep. arguably recruits more muscle groups. So probably leads, it still for sure leads to imbalances, but maybe less than cycling. Right. I don't know. Well, cycling is unique in the sense that the position that you're in on a bike is very conducive to over recruiting our tonic muscle system. Yeah. So the muscle system that is developed when we are in utero, mm-hmm. right? Knees are flexed, hips are flexed, thoracic spine is flexed. The only thing that's at that isn't there is we're, you know, babies in utero are not sitting in cervical extension. Right. But for the, for, for the most part, our tonic muscular system uh-huh. is the very first part of our muscular system that develops in utero, right? And a bike puts you in a position to over-recruit all of those same muscles, mm-hmm. right? We don't learn our anti-gravity musculature until we are, until we, until we're born. You know, and that's infant development where you learn you right. the phases. So of, in you know, at yeah. two months, yep. there are motor milestones. At three months, yeah, there are motor milestones. At six months, all of a sudden, the baby can you know sit up on their own. 
and hold their and hold their own balance. Right. We start to we start to develop our phasic muscle system mm-hmm. as we grow, but in utero, yeah. our our tonic muscle system is developed. Yep. And on a bike. We are in that position. We're in that same position. Right? So reliant on in this very yeah. flexor pattern, mm-hmm. right? And thought about that. That's really interesting. I mean, so just so the audience also has a little more context on this in case they're not familiar with these terms, but the phasic muscles, please correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. or if I, what I say can be refined, but the phasic muscles fundamentally are, they're the big movers, right? They're the, the, oh shit muscles. Sorry. I said that backwards. The tonic. Yep. No. Yeah. The phasic muscles are the tonic muscles are postural, corrective, more subtle, more, um, so a tonic muscle is, well, it's a muscle. It's when I say postural, it literally helps keep the spine in extension through subtle movement. You almost might describe the use or the, when we're trying to cue someone to engage more tonic muscles, Mm -hmm. we're using feeling descriptors rather than doing, right? Is that fair? So phasic muscles, more doing, prime mover yeah i mean they can i if you want to really simplify it your your phasic muscle system is really your anti-gravity system yeah everything that sort of opens you up okay your tonic muscle system the things that usually get tight right your hamstrings Mm -hmm. because your knees are bent yeah hip flexors because your hips are bent yeah right um rectus abdominis because you're bent out because you're bent out your Hmm. your tonic muscle system kind of closes you okay your phasic muscles muscle system like you're really your anti-gravity muscle system is what opens us up right in to paint with very broad strokes in and this is if you're you know if you if you learned in the in the school of yanda vladimir yanda yeah um pts for the most part spend their time trying to stretch out tonic muscles yeah. and activate phasic muscles. Okay. Right. Painting with very broad, yeah. broad strokes. Right. Yeah. And being on a bike and having bicycling being your soul, your soul sport. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yes, it absolutely is going to bias our neuromuscular system towards over recruiting um, and ultimately putting out of balance mm-hmm. our neuromuscular system. Mm-hmm. Because the longer we keep using one muscle group, the more their antagonists become inhibited. Inhibited, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. The tighter an agonist becomes, or the, to use the correct name, the shorter an agonist muscle becomes, yeah. the weaker or less able to recruit the antagonist to that muscle yep. becomes. Yep. Quads right. and hamstrings being right. a classic example. A very classic example. Yeah. Hip flexors, hip extensors. Yeah. Right. Um, now there's not there's not a ton of of scientific literature mm. to support that. Right. But conceptually, it's very easy to observe, very easy to treat. Yeah. And very easy to experience a different outcome in a clinical setting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Clinically, there's a ton yeah. of, of so, practical evidence. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of theory. Yeah. 
not a lot of empirical proof, mm -hmm. right? But that's kind of most of life. That's yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, if we are running our own experience, our own experiments in the laboratory of our own experience, mm -hmm. that is an N of one, mm -hmm. which is not a very powerful study in the literature, but it's an extremely powerful study when it comes to our own lives. Well, and it really should trump anything. I mean, this is the problem, right? We we can find, because of the internet, we can now go out and search on any given topic we wanna to find out about. And we can find 10 extremely qualified experts on either side of a divisive issue. Right. And I'm talking about, when I say highly qualified experts, I mean, people have divided their entire lives to the study of this topic. Right. And they have an extremely impassioned view and they've got tons of research and evidence and conclusions and mm -hmm. science and, you know, years of experience. Maybe they've got their own clinical experience or they work with patients, depending on what we're mm -hmm. talking about. But you can do this on literally anything from vaccines to microwaves yeah. to exercise programs. Like you can yeah. find people all over the map who are way beyond your own level of expertise as a person who just needs an answer to a question. Yeah. So this is the problem is then people end up in this tailspin because they see all these experts with conflicting viewpoints, right? Right. And what you're saying, what I'm saying is look within, find your own ability to discern. Yeah. Is that fair? I would, I would say that's very fair. And it's a lot of work, mm -hmm. right? Because we are so heavily biased by our habits, mm -hmm. by our belief systems, by our fear. We are so heavily biased by that. Mm -hmm. And all that stuff is part of, is external from our senses. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, my, one of my teachers used to always say, you know, get out of your mind and back to your senses, right? Mm -hmm. The information that you're looking for is in your body. The art, the difficult part is the discernment. Is what I'm hearing in my body actually coming from my body? Or is this coming from my mind? Am I rationalizing this? Yes. You know? And I think one of the quickest, one of the quickest ways to discern that is, um, have you ever, have you ever, uh, looked at any of the neurocardiology research or looked at heart math. Uh, familiar with heart math. Yeah. 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 So, you know, really the take home message with, with that is look, you can ask your heart a message and your heart will usually answer mm -hmm. before you're done formulating a question there are, because there are no, there's no filters, right? Our body, our heart is hooked directly into whatever source it is that we happen to believe in, right? That energy that animates us, that's hooked directly into our heart. So you can ask your heart a question, which you have to get quiet and you've got to get like, right? But you can ask your heart a question and it will answer. And we have all had that experience. You know, some people call it a gut feeling. Some people call it intuition. Some, you know, yep. it, but our body is constantly talking to us. So is our mind, but our mind has to run all that shit through a filter, through a bunch of filters. 
the filters of our own experience, filters of our own rationality, or filters of our own reasoning, or filters of our own experience, filters of our own trauma, the filters of our own fear. Social conditioning. Our social conditioning, our yep. culture. Expectation. Yep. Yeah. And like everything. Yeah. Right? Yep. So if you know, if you dig in the heart math has got a really fantastic uh their their quick coherence um meditation technique which is a three minute three minute technique mm-hmm. which is essentially talking to your heart and instilling a instilling an emotion into your heart a fantastic meditative process but the beginning part of that before you start bringing in an, an emotion like gratitude or appreciation or compassion or something like that is you're taking a few breaths and you're asking your heart a question. And if you get an answer that comes before you're even done asking the question, yeah, that is very likely a good thing to run with. Very, very likely. And because our mind doesn't do that. Our mind's very much, you know, trying to prepare for worst case scenario trying to remember what happened the last time we did it. Well, what if I do this, but I would do the same thing, but then maybe if I don't do it as much, or maybe I need to do it a little bit. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's that whole hamster where that's the, the monkey mind. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, and that kind of stuff doesn't happen with, uh, when it's coming through a heart, it doesn't happen when it comes through a gut, you know? So to be able to have, you know, the wherewithal or the ability to not only remember that we've got these capabilities and powers within us, they were, we came in with them to not only remember that we've got them, but then also the discipline to learn how to use it because it's like a tool. Yeah. Right. We get better at it with practice. Um, that is, I mean, that's just a, that's just a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And an observation I've made in myself is when I've been trying to tune into that channel and make that intuitive decision. Uh, this is, I'm thinking of some examples years ago in my racing and training when maybe I was super smashed and, you know, then you're on the precipice of a training block, the end of a block and you're thinking, okay, maybe one out of 80 times, if you push harder, you get this magic breakthrough result where all of a sudden the legs open up and the lungs open up and it happens once a season mm-hmm. where you go, you, you feel almost bizarrely like a, an abrupt change in your conditioning. Something clicks and mm-hmm. some enzyme finally gets made or some threshold of physiology that is super nuanced that we don't understand that was holding you back, breaks right. through, whatever mm-hmm. it is, a heat shock protein or something. And, mm-hmm. and you wake up the next day and you're like, holy shit, I feel amazing. I felt like I've been drinking, dragging a tree stump behind my bike for a month mm-hmm. and just kind of going nowhere and pedaling through mud. And now I'm like, I've got angel wings. I'm just flying around all over the place. This is awesome. And so of course we hold that example in our minds at the end of every training block where we're really pretty mm-hmm. smashed and we're evaluating, like, do I, I think this is going to be another one in 80 day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to add an extra day of, I'm just going to go ride a hundred miles tomorrow, even though mm-hmm. I'm totally obliterated and cross-eyed mm-hmm. and, or should I rest? Should I just call this block good and just go about the process and call it a, a three or four day block of training and take a couple of days easy and go into the next block? And you're having this discussion. The mind is having this discussion. And what I've, mm-hmm. what I've observed is if I really approach that 
that question that I'm asking, which is, should I train or should I rest? If I approach it with a lens of fear or a preconceived idea that I have to do something mm-hmm. and that there's all the stories that come out. Like I, if I don't do another block of training before the next race, I won't be good enough because mm-hmm. last weekend I got my ass kicked or whatever, right. or I had an injury this winter and I haven't, I'm behind or whatever the story, the story comes up. So if I, if I frame that question in a mindset of fear or of um, need, we'll say, because the need comes from the perception story that you have to do something, then I, it's like, it's really hard for me to see when the mind comes in and answers the question, but it feels like the soul or the heart. It, it tricks me. The mind takes that lens of fear and warps things. Yep. And then the answer is almost always to push. The mind almost always says to push. Oh, you need more. You're just not good enough. Right. Primal fear. You're not good enough. Not fast enough. Not good enough looking. Don't have enough money. Don't have a big enough dick. Right. Whatever. And so you're not enough. So the answer is more. The answer is to push. Mm -hmm. And that's the fear based mind path. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I empty, really sit, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. connect with breath, let go of attachment to the outcome let go of the fear that I'm not going to be good enough or I'm not going to be fast enough. Let go of all that. Just put it on the, park it on the bench for a minute and just let it be its thing and ignore it uh-huh. and really ask honestly, then what are you pulled towards? Right? Right. What, what does your heart say? What is your heart pulling you towards? And, so, and I would argue that, yeah, you get better the more you do that process, but it takes a lifetime to refine it. And it's a practice that never stops. Yeah. Is that absolutely. fair? Absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely it's absolutely a practice that never stops. Right? Mm-hmm. The secret of the practice is practice. The secret of the practice is practice. You know, that yeah. um if we take like a, here's a this is a good clinical example with a with a cyclist, right? So I had uh one of these JPL physicists uh whose only only form of exercise was his bike. Mm-hmm. He biked to and from work. And then he biked on the weekends with a road, with a, with a crew. Yeah. Guys, a bunch of other scientists, they went out and they rode, I don't know, 50 to hundred miles. And he had developed all of this, all this foot pain. And that was turning into not just pain. Now it was turning into uh, a lot of numbness, tingling, and some weakness and it was starting to actually now travel, travel up his leg. Mm. And you know, he's like, he came in, so he was convinced that there was something that was something that was wrong with his with his foot, right? And so we did a, a, a examined him, and since anytime somebody's got complaints of numbness, tingling, things like that, that are very kind of nervy sounding, mm-hmm. um, and he was he was a cyclist. So if, uh, I didn't. Even, I looked at his spine before I even looked at his foot, mm-hmm. okay? and that was fine, right? He had there was no there was no proximal contributor to his distal problems. Okay, and then looked at his foot mechanics, and for the most part, his exam was very unremarkable, with the exception of he had a lot of midfoot hypomobility. Yeah. Right. Um, that he didn't have 
it, it was on both sides, but it was just it was worse on one side. But we're very unilateral beings, right? We've got we've got yeah. dominant sides for everything. Yep. So since it, there was nothing that was really sticking out with with his exam, mm-hmm. I started to dig a little bit deeper into his his symptom complaints. When did this happen? How long did it take for it to come on? Mm-hmm. Um, and we got down to shoes. Yep. Right. Yep. And he always, because this is the way he was taught and this was the way he trains. He always has got bike shoes on and he's always clipped in. Mm-hmm. So there's really no allowance for every, everywhere from the TNCC forward to actually move. Yeah. Right. And he's, there was a ton of weakness mm-hmm. in his foot. And it, he was flabbergasted when we started looking. He's like, wow, there was trigger points and all of these plant and all these plantar interosseae, and they were weaker than he thought he could. He had no motor control mm-hmm. really of, of his toes, toes because he never needs to use them. Right. right. All he was all fascinated with that. Um, and I put it in all in very, uh, uh, as much of sort of physicist type language that I could put it into. Yeah. And he was like relating to it. He's like, this is great. This is great. How do we fix this? Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, well, here's some things that we can do, right? Yeah. This is, is this an impairment? Yes. It's an impairment, mm-hmm. but you're going to keep, you're going to keep doing keep this, right? Yep. Right. And so we sat and had a conversation. I was like, well, what do you think needs mm-hmm. to happen? Mm-hmm. Right. And he had no, he had no uh, solutions to begin with. So we unpacked it a little bit more. And I was like, so I started talking, do you have any of these problems when you're walking? Mm -hmm. Just walking like through the house or, you know, walking in the grocery store. No, I don't have any of these problems. This only happens when I'm on my bike and I'm, you know, I'm clipped into these shoes. And then we started to talk about his shoes. Yeah. And uh, I was like, are they very comfortable? Now they're not comfortable at all, but I get a lot of power from them. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and <laughs> so we kind of, we, we talked around this and I knew right where I wanted to go, but I didn't want to be the one to be like, Hey, I want you to try this. Yes. Because he was so dogmatic mm-hmm. about the way his cycling needed to be. Yes. And, uh, that's a great way to put it. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, why don't you think, why don't you think all this hurts when you're just walking on bare feet? If there's something wrong, if with there's your foot. something wrong with yeah. your foot, his hypothesis right? is correct. Yeah. And, uh, he yeah. was like, well, maybe, I mean, maybe it's my shoes. And I was like, there's very possible. And, uh, at that point I, there was a, I had an in. And yeah. so I said, why don't, uh, would you be willing to try something? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, sure. I was like, so you got clips on your bike right now, right? Yeah. He's like, yep. I was like, do you have any baskets or do you just have pedals? Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I got some, I got some pedals. Okay. I was like, can you pull the clips off and put the pedals on? Yeah. And he was like, wait a minute. Why, wait, why would I do that? I was like, I just want to know. Mm-hmm. And Wear those shoes that you wore in here today. Yeah. Those like gum bottom fucking hush right. puppies. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, I was like, wear those shoes or some tennis shoes. Yeah. Put the pedals on your bike 
Just go for a ride. And I want you to, I want you to, this week, I want you to pedal to and from work. Yeah. Without the clips. Yeah. Came back in the next week. He was like, my foot didn't hurt at all the <laughs> whole week. Right. I was like, so why don't we do this? You're not competing with anybody when you're going to work. Mm-hmm. At least transporting yourself to work. I don't know what <clears throat> happens when you get to that yep. fucking rocket science, rocket scientist factory. Right. Right. But you're not competing with anybody while you're going to work. Mm-hmm. So how about during the week, you wear your tennis shoes, pedals on your bike, you pedal to work. And then on the weekend, when you get together with your, with your scientist friends and you go on these hundred mile road trips, stick your clips back on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And see what happens. Yeah. And he came in the next week and he was like, I only had a little bit of pain mm-hmm. after, after that long ride, but it went away really quickly. Yeah. Right. So I didn't change. I didn't address any of the hypermobility that was in his forefoot. Yeah. I didn't address any of the muscle inhibition. I didn't address the trigger points that were in all that in the plantar myofascia. Mm-hmm. I left all that. Right. I let this guy sort of come to his own conclusion. Yeah. And then when I saw an opportunity, I was like, think maybe you can try something right. that's contrary to what you were telling me. Right. And, you know, to his benefit, he said, yes, mm-hmm. a lot of people will say no. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. but it, you know, it's simple, mm-hmm. right? Your body. It's an interesting thing about pain. It's a messenger, right? Yeah. And it's a messenger that's saying something's out of balance. Some, there's there's part of the system that's out of balance. Mm-hmm. And pain is just one facet of our whole protective suite that, that our body has. Mm-hmm. And our immune system is another, you know, part of that protective suite, along with many other, you know, our glandular system. And they, they, there's a lot of, but pain is only one, is only one component, one element mm-hmm. in that protective suite. It's trying to keep you alive. And pain is always something that is saying something is out of balance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Something needs to be returned to balance, whether it's traumatic, severe, like a a traumatic injury where you've got tissue damage, where things are obviously out of balance or whether it's some sort of a micro trauma that's happened over time because of posture or repetition. And now you've got aberrant forces, right. That are sending messages up to our brain saying, Hey, Something's out of balance. Yeah. Let's pay attention to what the balance is. And, you know, like, like you said, when we started this out at that point, if we had the wherewithal, if we had the training, if somebody had told us, stop, look inside, mm-hmm. get an idea, get some sort of a bearing on what it is that your, that your body is telling you to do. It will pull you in the right direction. The message is right yep. there. It's have to listen. Yep. Yeah. The solution for pain is always in the pain. Mm-hmm. Pain brings with it its own solution. Yeah. But we have to, we got to be willing to, we have to be able to well, work with it. In, you might say, alchemical language. This is the, the practitioner sitting in the fire, right? Is that a way to think about it? Like, you got to sit there and feel it. You, and mm-hmm. look into it. You can't run from it. You can't medicate it. You can't yeah. smash it down. You can't add bill it to death or percocet yeah. it to death or, yeah. or I mean, drink it's, it to it's, death. It's shadow work. 
That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's very, you know, that's, Ooh. yeah, that's very woo woo. That's very candles and sandals and, and uh, very <laughs> witchy and, witchy. and <laughs> it's not evidence-based right. and it doesn't show up in the literature. Um, and, but that's the great thing about pain science. Like pain science is the one area in, in the scientific world where all of that witchy woo woo stuff, because it has to do with belief systems. Yeah. It has to do with fear. Yeah. It has to do with self-efficacy. It has to do with, you know, um, culture. It has to do with, um, familial support systems. Like it has to do with education it has to do with experience, like all this stuff that affects us at a level that we can't really measure. Yeah. Pain science is the one area in the sort of medical world where all of that stuff starts to become qualitative mm -hmm. because now we've just got randomized clinical control trial after randomized clinical control trial showing us mm -hmm. that all of these external factors, all of these biopsychosocial factors have a significant impact on our responses to yeah. situations. Yeah. And our sensations of pain. Right? And our, our sensations yeah. of pain. Right. Yep. Yeah. Our pain experience. Yep. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and it's, that's, that's what's so fascinating about, you know, about pain science, mm -hmm. you know, it's also a difficult thing to, you know, to relay to patients and to yeah. clients because patients have very, people have very, very, concrete immovable ideas about what pain means hmm. and yeah. you know to try to crack through that yeah is you know that's challenging and it yeah. takes personal ownership of the patient mm -hmm. there's nothing palliative or passive that's going to get done to a patient right um that is going to remove permanently belief systems, mm. right? Mm -hmm. That takes, in order for that to happen, an there, needs to, there needs to be an intervention of the grace. Yeah. And, you know, mm. if you're not willing to, mm. you know, if you're not willing to have those conversations, that can be a, you know, that can be a, a touchy thing. Show suffer, you know? Well, just like the example you gave of the JPL physicist, um, it's funny you used here. You brought that example. My dad was actually, he actually worked for JPL for a long time. He literally was a rocket scientist. Yeah. And now I'm probably was one of my patients. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that would have been a long time ago, but, uh, I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, my dad's been dead for a while, but in any case, uh, it just, I mean, associating the psych, there's definitely a weird cross-section of engineering and scientist minds and cycling. They're very, it's a sport that that mindset is attracted to, mm -hmm. for sure. I meet a lot of writers. I coach a lot of writers who are engineers and they're in that field. Yep. So it's, they go along hand in hand, I think, because the, the, the body's relationship of the mechanical device of the bicycle, those two things are interesting for some reason. Yeah. Um, and the intricacy of being fit to the machine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, look at your, look at your fit, your fit chart. Look at how many things are on that thing. Mm -hmm. Right. No, that's a engineer's dream. <laughs> I guess it kind of is. Yeah. You know, maybe I should put some artwork in there to counterbalance it a bit. 
<laughs> well, no, but that's but you but you, I can you can I mean you can see why. Yeah, you know. Yeah, numbers, it's, lots um, of beans to count. Yeah, cycling cycling is the ultimate bean counting sport. Really, it is. Yeah. Oh, totally. Because we have we have computers that track that quantify your power output in watts mm -hmm. and then your heart rate. So that is the performance end of the sport right now is all about power and watts and more ways to raise your threshold power. And it's okay. an endless wormhole of data dorkedness. Like you can just go all in on it. Right. And so it, it like triples down on that left brain Yang mm -hmm. engineering mindset. They get to crunch numbers all day or solve complex physics problems or whatever they're doing or mm -hmm. figure out how rockets are going to make it to Mars. And then they get to go ride their bike and look at more numbers. Right. Right. And yeah. So yeah. your method, which I would zooming out a bit, I would say, your method might be called, uh, you could call it an Alenkis, right? Which is a Socratic means of where you question someone oh, yeah. with, you might yeah. have a result in mind, but yep. you let them answer the questions to yep. illustrate the point you're trying to, yeah, to bring to light, right? Yeah. And then, I'm very, then I am, I'm very Socratic when it comes yeah. to, when it yeah. comes to patient care. Yeah. Yeah. It's unless powerful. you, I mean, unless you got a, I mean, you, you very often you're going to have people that come, just, they come in the door and they're like, look, I just need this fixed. Make yeah. this go away. Right. Okay. Okay. Go. Make it go away. I'm not going to waste my time. Cool. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's, you know, I consider my job, my responsibility in my job is to help empower people. Mm -hmm. Right. I have a certain knowledge base and I'm very confident in the knowledge base that I've got. And if that knowledge base can be of service to somebody, well, then I'm going to impart, I'm going to, I'm going to give them however much they want mm -hmm. with the end game being that they're able to take care of themselves. Right. Um, and I think it's kind of a, a Socratic approach to things is yeah. a great way to do that because it forces people to actually think. Yeah. And again, 96% of the decisions that we make and the actions that we take on any given day mm -hmm. happen unconsciously. So any opportunity that we have got to get into the present moment and to make a conscious decision or to have a conscious thought is time well, uh, it's time well taken. Yep. So that, you know, that method of, you know, just kind of helping people talk themselves into their own answers. Yep. Is a, it, it's a very powerful way to do that. Agreed. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Ron, we've um, been going, we've been going for two hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is a fun. great place to wrap it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was super fun. Yeah, man. Thanks. Good. Uh, we'll do it again. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I'd love to. That sounds like fun, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Good. All right. Thanks very much. Yep. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of Cycling in Alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard-fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. 
and that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society. Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, this is sport we're talking about. And while sport is training for life, it's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.